3CR would like to acknowledge the Kulin Nations, true owners, caretakers, and custodians of the land from which we broadcast. 3CR pays respect to elders past and present of the Kulin Nation. We recognize their unceded sovereignty. This is 3CR Breakfast. Alternative news, analysis, and current affairs. Monday to Friday, 7am to 8.30am. Good morning, everyone. Uh, you are listening to Thursday Breakfast on 3CR 855 AM. Hey, Rosie, how's it going? Yeah, pretty good this morning. How are you going, Priya? I'm well, thank you. Um, it, it has been a week. Um, yeah, I don't know. We were we were we were just recapping earlier. Do we do headlines or do we just say, "Here's all the stuff you didn't get when uh, when the whole shit show was brewing." Yeah, and we do have a lot of really good stuff that you may not have heard about this week. Um, but we do also have beautiful Carly joining us for headlines. Um, so before we jump into that, uh, we'll just give you a quick rundown of what's on the show for today. So did you want to start, Rosie? Sure. So we're first up, we've got um, a conversation Carly had with Jill Gallagher, CEO of the Victorian Aboriginal Community Controlled Health Organisation, and they're talking about the Royal Commission into Vic- sorry Victoria's Royal Commission into Mental Health System, and the final report, which was released on Tuesday, highlights the catastrophic failures of the mental health system in Victoria. Jill will speak about Vaco's hope, sorry Vaco's hope for post Royal Commission to establish two co-designed healing centres, as well as hopes to create more culturally appropriate and family-oriented health services. And after that, we're going to be joined by Chris Sheringa from the Gungara Environment Centre, or GECO, who joins us to give us an update about Camp Erinandra, which is a blockade halting forest logging in East Gippsland. And then Amelia Bright, uh, University of Melbourne Student Union Queer Officer Bearer, uh, speaks to us about the recent escalation of transphobia at the University of Melbourne and how students and staff are fighting back against it to create a campus where everyone feels safe. After that, Larissa Baldwin, who's a Wijibal woman from the Bundjalung Nation and GetUp's First Nations Justice Campaign Director, joins us to discuss GetUp's petition calling for an urgent moratorium to protect sacred sites in response to mining giant BHP's irreparable damage to a Bundjama sacred site in the Pilbara in so-called Western Australia. And finally, Hella Ibrahim, founder and editor, uh, editorial director of Jed Press, joins us to talk about Jed's editorial mentorship and featured writers program, as well as their black speculative, speculative fiction anthology. It's going to be an absolutely huge show. And um, yeah, we're going to uh, chuck on a CSA and go to Carly with the headlines. So... Here you are, too foreign for home, too foreign for here, never enough for both. Ijuoma Umebinyo, Diaspora Blues. What makes you smile and adds a spring to your step? What does it mean to belong and how do we build a home away from home? Diaspora Blues is a show that contemplates what is and what could be. Join Busto and Bigwa every Monday at 2.30 on 3CR Community Radio. Produced by Jan. Slavery is back. Welcome to a place where private business profit from a captive labor force. 
yet pennies are spent on medical services to a population in which the Indigenous, the poor and the mentally ill are overrepresented. Where isolation, humiliation and degradation are facts of life. Welcome to prison. It depends who's telling the story, I suppose. The prisoners would have one view. The people who work in the prison system would have another. And I think it's up to people to decide uh, where the truth is. Give government propaganda and the media spin doctors the flick. And check out Doin' Time for news, views and tunes on prison issues from Guantanamo Bay to Christmas Island to prisons and detention centres everywhere. Every Monday at 4pm on your community radio, 3CR. We are still fired up and we're still talking about revolution. And we're back on Thursday Breakfast, 3CR, 855 AM. And now we're going to go to the news headlines with Carly. Hey, Carly. Hey, Priya. Hey, Rosie. How are you going? How's everything going? Yeah, good. <laughs> yeah, us too. All right. <laughs> Let's hear the headlines. <laughs> All right. The headlines for the 4th of March. The Lowly Report finds that Chinese people living in Australia have been discriminated against at higher rates since COVID-19. A survey of over 1,000 members of the Chinese community in Australia found that one in five Chinese people have said that they have been physically threatened or attacked in the past year. Green Senator Maureen Faruqi said it was unacceptable that so many Chinese Australians had been threatened or attacked. She said there's no doubt COVID racism is at play here, but we should not disregard the impact of political rhetoric and consequences of heated debate over Australia-China relations. More than 20 Medivac refugees have been released from Brisbane Immigration Detention. 69 people are expected to be released this week from Darwin, Brisbane and Sydney. Sydney West legal Nolene Balasatharin Harindaran, who represents one of the men who was detained in Kangaroo Point Cliff, says that Home Affairs Minister Peter Dutton had granted her client, Mr Obazaya, a visa ahead of his return to court on 3 March. She said this was more of a move to avoid the court intervening and setting a legal precedent. All the cases rely on a writ of habeas corpus, which contends that as the refugees have not received the medical treatment, which is a condition of that attention, that attention is unlawful. Attorney General Christian Porter has denied allegations of an incident of rape in 1988. An anonymous letter from the woman's friends was sent to the Prime Minister's office last week and it contained the woman's statement about the incident. The New South Wales police investigation into the matter also began in February 2020 where the woman reported the alleged rape to New South Wales police. The woman took her own life last year. Christian Porter says that he won't stand down from his position as Attorney General, but the woman's friends, family and members of Parliament are calling for an inquiry into the allegation. And the National Sexual Assault, Family and Domestic Violence Counselling Line is 1-800-737-732 and crisis support can also be found at Lifeline, 131114. And that's all I have for news headlines on the 4th of March. Thanks so much, Carly, and uh, thank you also for reading out those lines. I know it's been a really distressing news cycle for a lot of people and it's really important to remember that support and care is out there if you need it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, thank you so much, um, Carly. And um, now we're going to go into that wonderful interview you sent us uh, with Jill. Oh, perfect.
Yeah. Enjoy. Bye. We've got a common enemy. The same government that locks up these refugees just behind us here at the Park Hotel is the same government that's going for our rights, trying to attack the very limited gains that casuals have. And so when union activists take up the cause of refugees amongst their fellow workers, it's not an act of charity. It's about building workers' united self-defence mechanism, understanding that we're all part of the same battle. Subscribe to 3CR in 2021. Feed Radical Radio. Subscribe today. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 94198377. And now we're going to go to an interview with Jill Gallagher, who's the CEO of the Victorian Aboriginal Community Controlled Health Organization, who spoke with Carly about the Royal Commission into Victoria's mental health system. The final report, which was, which was released this past Tuesday, highlights the catastrophic failures of the mental health system in Victoria. Jill speaks about Vacho's hopes post-Royal Commission to establish two co-designed healing centers, as well as hopes to create more culturally appropriate and family-oriented health services. Today, I'm speaking with Jill Gallagher, CEO of the Victorian Aboriginal Community Controlled Health Organisation about the Royal Commission into Victoria's mental health system. The report was released on Tuesday, of which there were 65 recommendations made in the final report and nine recommendations from the interim report. The report highlights the catastrophic failures of the mental health system to address people's mental health needs in Victoria. So welcome, Jill. Thank you so much for joining us on 3CR Thursday Morning Breakfast. Thank you for the um, interest. <laughs> so can you first start by telling listeners a bit about the work that Batcho does more broadly across Victoria? Yes. Batcho is a peak body for Aboriginal health and wellbeing in the state of Victoria. We uh, have 32 member uh, Aboriginal community-controlled organisations who make up Batcho. Uh, and they're sprinkled around Victoria and uh, they deliver services to their own local Aboriginal uh, communities. Um, and here in Victoria, our services or our members are very unique um, in, in, in this country because they are hubs that deliver social determinants of health and address that within their own community. So they're not just a health clinic is what I'm trying to say. They are also, you know, they run drug and alcohol programs. They have mental health programs, uh, spiritual, uh, emotional, spiritual wellbeing programs. They have housing. They're also estate agents, um, So, um, which is very exciting. So, so we represent their needs and their voices uh, at a statewide level and at a national level. Um, and so Vacho plays in this space uh, has been in this space now for 25 years, actually. Um, and, um, and our work over the last couple of years in relation to mental health, um, we always knew that the mental health system wasn't meeting the needs uh, of uh, the Aboriginal communities in Victoria. And it was really very difficult to navigate the mental health system uh, what was it? What was there anyways? 
Mm. Um, so we, when we saw the final report and what came out of the uh, Royal Commission and the, uh, all the recommendations, if we succeeded implementing all, uh, how many recommendations did you say? Sixty-five. Sixty-five in the final report. Yeah. yeah. Sixty. If we implement here in Victoria, uh, the Victorian government have have agreed to uh, fund and take on board the 65 recommendation, which is a really good thing and very exciting for all Victorians. Yeah. But what's even more exciting is the um, recommendations that specifically deal with Aboriginal mental health. Mm. Um, so before we head into that, what were some of Vatro's main concerns about the mental health system going into this World Commission? Well, the main concerns were... Um, how can I put this... The main concern is, I mean, the current system is geared up to to address um, very severe cases of mental health. Um, well, you're at a stage where you're at crisis mode mm. uh, in your mental health um, mm. uh, needs. And so the system is mainly geared up to address that. It's not geared up to look at the whole well-being of a, of, a, of a person, in particular Aboriginal people. So, you know, I mean, you've got all sorts of mental health. And I'm not a mental health clinician, nor am I a mental health expert. But I do know um, through the amount of mental health and um, spirit, emotional and spiritual well-being issues that our communities face, which COVID-19 uh, uh, highlighted, and exacerbated um, um, everyone's mental health, basically. Yeah. But there's not a system set up to address um, um, the whole journey. It was only set up to address the, the critical crisis stages of mental health. Mm. So when I saw and understood what was coming out of the uh, Royal Commission, um, I actually think, it's a, it's a plus for all Victorians if we can. Uh, and I think it was Penny Armitage in her speech that basically summed it up really well. You know, if you're being diagnosed, there's a lot of um, services and systems that are set up to diagnose cancer at a very early stage. Because if you diagnose cancer or chronic health at a very early stage, then your success rate of surviving that, you know, is threefold. Mm. Um, In the mental health space, we don't have those systems to early diagnosis. Mm. It's right at the very crisis stage. Yeah. It was listed throughout the report that the system is very reactive, not proactive. Exactly. And also overly reliant on medication. and I know that Vatro developed the ballot Dern Dern report to support the Royal Commission's inquiries. So can you speak a bit about this report and other contributions that Vatro made to the Royal Commission? The report was designed, um, and I don't need to acknowledge um, Caroline Kell uh, for her leadership, who is a young Aboriginal woman who led this piece of work here at Vatro. Um, so Caroline uh, and Vatro knew that we needed to go out to the Victorian Aboriginal communities and have conversations, not just with service providers, 
but with people who have lived experiences and community in general. And we wanted to have a document that was presented to the Royal Commission um, uh, on what our what we're asking for, what our needs are in this space. Uh, so the the ballot Dern Dern was a catalyst uh, in getting what the specific recommendations in the final reports. Um, the healing centres that we spoke about in Ballot Dern Dern is one of our major recommendations. Um, you know, um, we now have an opportunity to explore how we do that. Uh, so the government have agreed to take that on board. Um, the work around um, child and youth uh, mental health areas. Um, uh, in the mainstream, we have uh, headspace, and that's good, but I know a lot of our mobs don't use headspace. So how do we, how do we either increase headspace's capacity uh, and ensure that our mob do access it, or is there something different? And maybe these healing centres are the answer, but that's all yet to be worked out and decided. Um, in, in relation to, um, um, you know, for many, many years, Vacho has all, and, and Ballot Dern Dern came out loud and clear, um, connection to culture or, or maintaining our connection to our cultures, no matter where we are, is vital to our, uh, to addressing one, the transgenerational trauma, but also vital to uh, our well-being as Aboriginal people. Um, so whatever these healing centres are going to look like, uh, we actually need to ensure that um, that connection to culture. And in a modern world, and particularly in urban areas, that's really hard to maintain that strong, lived connection to culture. Um, so I think that's a, a key to our success around the emotional and spiritual well-being of our communities. I think culture makes us being strong in our culture and our identity makes us all very strong and powerful. I remember an elder a long time ago um, said to me, if we don't grow our burais strong in their culture, then we're always going to have issues. Uh, and that has resonated with me for many years. And it's important that our children are grown strong with culture wrapped around them as part of their everyday life. Um, and then if we grow them strong, then our children, our young people can face anything that the world, the modern world throws at them. Yeah. Uh, but we do know that the national suicide rate for um, the Aboriginal people is estimated to be about twice the rate of the general population. Um, and, yeah, suicide occurs much younger, especially for Aboriginal people. Um, Very what, much so. Yeah. What are you hoping um, the outcomes of the report achieve? The outcomes of the uh, Royal Commission, Commission report? Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm hoping... Like, we Here in Victoria, we're less than 2% of the population, Aboriginal people. So we're never going to have our own fully-fledged uh, mental health system that is solely focused on our mobs. We're never going to have that. So not only do we actually have to have our own programs where we can, and, in, you know, we have 32 members. Out of the 32 members here in Victoria, 
about 15 of them provide mental health services in some shape or form. We still need to be able to navigate the mainstream system. So VATCHO is a peak body. We still need to be engaged in what the new system here in Victoria is going to look like. So we still need to make sure that whatever is developed for Victorians, that our voice is, is heard in those discussions and those designs. Mm. Yeah, and the Royal Commission, they recommended up to 60 community-based adult mental health services to be established across the state, another 22 high-level treatment services delivered in partnership with local hospitals, and then also another 13 services that are specific to young people. Um, and lastly, Jill, I know that you mentioned this at the very beginning, but do you think that the report lacked at all in thinking about the wider scope of how um, things like welfare system, the housing system, um, and then also just the health system in general fails people and then therefore impacts on their mental health? That's a very good point, and, 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 and yes, uh, it probably does. Any report, whether you're dealing with mental health or whether, you, whether you're dealing with chronic disease or whether you're dealing with accommodation crisis or problems, um, has to be somehow be linked into all those other areas. And that's what you're referring to is the social determinants of health. Mm. You know, I mean, how can you, how can your mental health or your health or your well-being be good if you don't have a roof over your head mm. or you don't have a job? Mm. Um, um, you know, a lot of our people right across Australia, we, we actually have, um, not one chronic illness that usually a lot of us have to deal with. It's multiple chronic illnesses that our people have to deal with. So that has an effect on your mental health. Mm. Um, so yes, I, I think any report, but I don't, I, I don't know how, and I'm no expert, um, I think it needs to address all those other impacts that impacts on someone's life. Mm. You know, I mean, when, if you look at, if you look at, I'll use Rumbalara, uh, who is one of our members, and they're based in Yorta Yorta country, and they're actually uh, one of our biggest services here in Victoria. And so they have a clinic, they have a mental health program, they have drug and alcohol, they have cultural programs, they have housing programs, they have a residential aged care facility, they have aged care in the home, they have all those wraparound services. So if you're an Aboriginal person who lives in that region, you go in one door, all those wraparound services should be impacting on you. Are you homeless? Do you have a house? Mm. Um, do you have a job? Um, so we've got it right. I believe the Aboriginal community here in Victoria, how we address the social determinants of health. Um, but the system hasn't got it right yet. Mm. The whole system. Mm. Yeah. But I think um, very slowly, but surely, I think that also mainstream services and also the Victorian government are actually looking to models such as Rumbalara um, and such as other Aboriginal models where there is more community-based services being provided and more of those wraparound services. 
Yes. <laughs> Thank you so much, Jill, for joining us on 3CR Thursday Morning Breakfast. Thank you very much for the invite. You're on 3CR Thursday Morning Breakfast, and that was a conversation that Carly had with Jill Gallagher, CEO of the Victorian Aboriginal Community-Controlled Health Organisations, about the Royal Commission into Victoria's mental health system. Six years I've been in Beyond the Bars is 3CR's annual prison project, giving voice to our Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander inmates right across Victoria. It's good to be here because uh, Aboriginal radio and um, you don't really get to do this much. Brings us all together. Time, you'll get your time to take that first step out that front door to freedom beyond these walls. Make sure and I just want to say thank you to all of you for giving us the opportunity to speak on air. The reason, the bigger the calling. Make your commitment and watch things like And you can listen to audio from this year's broadcasts and previous years as well. Online at any time, just go to 3cr.org.au forward slash beyond the bars. But also while I'm here, I'd like to say thank you for all for coming, um, helping, giving us a chance to do this. It's really good, you know. It's been going for a while now. Hopefully it goes, it keeps going. You know, like it's, it's good that we can do this and um, get our voice out there as prisoners. We can't blame everything on the external, so let's stop looking for it in the hands of the persecutor because real power comes from here and it comes from family. If you would like us to post you a free CD, contact the station on 03-9419-8377. Genocide here is a lot more sneaky than it is in Rwanda or other places around the world. It's one thing white fellas learnt in the last 200 years to be very sneaky about their genocide. You look at the 38 nations that were here before white settlement and then you count up the numbers that are still surviving, still out there doing their business on their country. Well, there's only 25 left, so what happened to the other 13? Let's talk about the Black GST. Genocide to be stopped, sovereignty acknowledged and treaties made. Tune in to Fire First every Wednesday from 11am till 12 midday on 3CR with Robbie Thorpe. So, here you are, too foreign for home, too foreign for here, never enough for both. Ijuoma Umebinyo, Diaspora Blues. What makes you smile and adds a spring to your step? What does it mean to belong and how do we build a home away from home? Diaspora Blues is a show that contemplates what is and what could be. Join Busto and Bigwa every Monday at 2.30 on 3CR Community Radio. Produced by Jan. I'm Jeffrey. I'm Alphonse. I'm Erwin. And we, we are, are from, from the Voice of West Papua. Tuesday, 6.30 until 7.30 p.m. News and music from West Papua.
enable change, we need to show broad community support. Show your support for walking and cycling in the city of Yarra by appearing as a champion on the Streets Alive website, representing your local street, neighbourhood or school. It's fast, free and simple. Learn more at streets-alive-yarra.org. A 3CR supporter. Six years I've been in desert. Beyond the Bars is 3CR's annual prison project, giving voice to our Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander inmates right across Victoria. It's good to be here because uh, Aboriginal radio and um, you don't really get to do this much. Brings us all together. Time, you'll get your time to take that first step out that front door to freedom beyond these walls. Make sure and I just want to say thank you to all of you for giving us the opportunity to speak on air. The reason, the bigger the calling. Make your commitment and watch things. And you can listen to audio from this year's broadcasts and previous years as well. Online at any time, just go to 3cr.org.au forward slash beyond the bars. But also while I'm here I'd like to say thank you for all for coming um, Helping, giving us a chance to do this It's really good, you know It's been going for a while now Hopefully it goes, it keeps going You know, like it's, it's good that we can do this And um, get our voice out there as prisoners We can't blame everything on the external So let's stop looking for it in the hands of the persecutor Because real power comes from here And it comes from family if you would like us to post you a free CD, contact the station on 03-9419-8377. I really am not understanding why people aren't seeing the fact that prisons are an integral part of a public health response to a pandemic. Like you, I'm really concerned about whether the data is being released very honestly about illnesses within prison. I have suspicions it's not, but really we need very strong leadership in this country that actually cares about people inside, our most vulnerable populations inside. That's what we need and that's not what we're getting right now. We need to keep radical voices on air Subscribe now. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 94198377. All right, and you are listening to Thursday Breakfast on 3CR 855 AM. Apologies, we're experiencing some technical difficulties, but we're going to go to another song now. This is Yuani by Marnbali Feet. Emily Wormara. Yeah. 
The Rainbow Door is a free, culturally safe, specialist helpline for all LGBTIQA plus Victorians. The helpline provides information, support and referral from experienced peer workers on issues including mental health, family violence, relationships, suicide prevention and sexual assault. For information, support and referral, call the Rainbow Door on 1-800-729-367. That's 1-800-729-367, 10am to 6pm every day. Switchboard is a 3CR supporter. Are you looking after someone aged with a disability, mental illness or medical condition? As a carer, you can access free support online, over the phone or in person. Carer Gateway is an Australian government initiative providing counselling, advice, respite and much more. Find out how Carer Gateway can help you. Call 1-800-422-737 Monday to Friday or visit carergateway.gov.au. Carer Gateway, connecting carers to support services. A 3CR supporter. All right. Thank you, everyone, for your patience. We're now going to go up. Sorry, previously we listened to Yuani by Marn Bali Fee, uh, Emily Waramara, and now we're going to go to an interview with Amelia Bright, who's a University of Melbourne Student Union queer office bearer, who's going to speak with us about the recent escalation of transphobia at the University of Melbourne and how students and staff are fighting back against it to create a campus where everyone feels safe. So thank you so much for joining us today. Hi, thanks so much for having me. No worries. So there has been a recent uptick in transphobia at the university um, with the establishment of a website recording uh, quote-unquote incidents with trans people uh, by a professor based at the university, as well as the creation of a, a new subject, which includes transphobic uh, content as part of the course materials. Um, but of course, this definitely isn't new at the university. So could you give us a little context regarding issues around transphobia at the university? Yeah, so I guess I'll start off by saying that the staff at UniMel, the academics and everything, among them we have a lot of allies. Um, but one staff member and, and some in the past have been consistently let off the hook uh, for spouting hate speech and such in their public life and sometimes even in their academic life. The university has policies in place that are supposed to prevent this, but for some reason they just keep making exemptions uh, and transgender, intersex and gender diverse people are the ones that are suffering. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, um, a really, you've made an important point that there are policies, um, in place, but the way that these policies are implemented, um, is sometimes quite confusing, um, you know, when we do see these open acts of discrimination. So how, uh, how do these instances of transphobia, um, intersect with the policies that are in place at the university, um, particularly related to anti-discrimination? Because I know that there's, um, there's a lot of conversation about quote unquote academic freedom of speech, but, Obviously, you know, there, there are some lines when people's uh, safety comes into consideration. Yeah, so yeah, like, like we say, these policies already exist, they're just not being enforced. And there's two main policies at play here, and that's the academic freedom of expression policy and the acceptable workplace behaviour policy. Um, the academic freedom of expression policy states that Free expression is required to be in good faith and accord with principles of academic and research ethics. So hate speech should clearly be in contravention of that. And the other policy is the acceptable workplace behavior policy, which prohibits employees from directly or indirectly and importantly inciting others to 
engage in bullying, harassment and vilification. And just this week, we've seen slurs being written on the windows of prominent buildings on campus. In the past, we've seen disgusting, like, hateful posters displayed in women's bathrooms. So you can't really tell me that this hasn't incited hatred and vilification. Absolutely, and not to mention what's been proliferating online as well in relation to the website, but also, um, you know, targeting staff and students who are raising concern about that as well. Um, so how has the university responded to student and staff concerns about these incidents? Well, I guess the short answer is that they basically haven't. Uh, the, the best we've heard is the Dean of Arts has released a statement to art students saying that any mention of the university has been removed from the website and they reaffirmed their supposed commitment to a safe and diverse campus. We're hoping that by making some noise on campus yesterday with our rally, we can push a bit more of a substantial response that actually moves towards solving the issue. Uh, But what we have right now is as good as nothing. Yeah, absolutely, which is why, you know, there's a need for students and staff to organise in in collaboration with one another to sort of amplify this message and try and get it across um, and let the university know how how absolutely urgent it is that these issues are addressed. Um, So what were, um, maybe you can let us know a bit about how the protest came about and what were the key demands that uh, that you raised at the protest? Yeah, so essentially I got a text message about this website. Um, I'm the person that people kind of go to with that and we said, well, we can't just do nothing. Um, We saw that the university was doing nothing and we got the Queer Political Action Collective together and we said we have to make some noise this week. Uh, so we got the protest together and we developed three key demands. Firstly, that the university publicly opposed this website. Um, secondly, is that they remove content from courses and tutorials that is clearly transphobic. Uh, this particular lecturer uh, teaches a subject in the winter term where she gets to spout this kind of garbage under the guise of education and feminism. And thirdly, and this is the crux of it, which we just touched on, that the university stopped selectively applying its policies of academic freedom of expression to protect hate speech and hateful misconduct, because academic freedom is not the freedom to spread misinformation and hatred. Absolutely. I think that's just so important to emphasize, because... Um, a lot of the times uh, discrimination against transgender and gender diverse people really flies under the radar um, comparatively with other things that would be picked up and addressed more easily. Not saying that uh, the university or any institutional environment has been perfect at addressing things around uh, race or gender discrimination more broadly. Um, but I think there's a misconception that there's some sort of gray area around trans and gender diverse people, which really needs to be dispelled. Um, so, uh, where can people find out a bit more information about the pushback and um, about, you know, how, how people are trying to keep transgender and gender diverse people safe on campus? Um, I think the best way to stay in touch with the issue is on our Facebook page, which is UMSU, UMSU Queer Department. That's where we release our statements, where we talk about uh, the actions that we have coming up and like just directly and publicly address these issues. And that's the best way to get involved as well. And is there anything else that you'd like to raise before we wrap up? I think you touched on a pretty good point. Um, And I think it's a really important thing to consider is how this fits kind of more broadly into a historical institutional culture at the university of enabling and forgiving, uh, dare I say, eugenicist ideas. 
This professor herself has facilitated discussion of finding cures for transgender people and thinking about how that would make the world a better place, which is some pretty disturbing rhetoric. And it goes to show that this really is a colonial institution. It always has been and it still is. Some of the most prominent buildings even are named after eugenicists. And it's a stark reminder that there's an inherent link between transphobia and homophobia and other minority struggles such as racism, colonialism and indigenous rights. Yeah, I'm really, really glad that you tied those together because it's just so important to to think about how our struggles are interconnected so that we... um, we're constantly mindful of the fact that we need to, um, you know, fight back together and support each other in our struggles. So thank you so much for joining us today, Amelia. I really appreciate you taking the time. And I know it's not easy um, for people that are organizing around this to speak up. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. It's been great. No worries. All right, that was an interview with Amelia Bright, who's the University of Melbourne Student Union Queer Office Bearer, who spoke with us about the recent escalation of transphobia at the University of Melbourne and how students and staff are fighting back against it to create a campus where everyone feels safe. Now, um, I understand that this is quite a distressing topic, and we just wanted to make people aware of any support uh, of supports that are out there um, should you need any assistance, and please don't hesitate to call. So uh, if you're in Victoria, you can call Rainbow Door at Switchboard on one 767 or you can text them at 0480-017-246, and they're open from 10 to 5. You can also call QLife at 1-800-184-527, and they're open 3 p.m. to midnight. And finally, uh, for all hours, you can call uh, Lifeline on 131114. Beyond the Bars is 3CR's annual prison project, giving voice to our Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander inmates right across Victoria. It's good to be here because uh, Aboriginal radio and um, you don't really get to do this much. brings us all together. Time, you'll get your time to take that first step out that front door to freedom beyond these walls. Make sure and I just want to say thank you to all of you for giving us the opportunity to speak on air. The reason, the bigger the calling. Make your commitment and watch things like And you can listen to audio from this year's broadcasts and previous years as well. Online at any time, just go to 3cr.org.au forward slash beyond the bars. But also while I'm here, I'd like to say thank you for all for coming, um, helping, giving us a chance to do this. It's really good, you know, it's been going for a while now. Hopefully it goes, it keeps going, you know, like it's, it's good that we can do this and um, get our voice out there as prisoners. We can't blame everything on the external, so let's stop looking for it in the hands of the persecutor because real power comes from here and it comes from family. If you would like us to post you a free CD, contact the station on 03 9419 You're on 3CR Thursday morning breakfast and now we are joined by Chris Sharinga from the Gungera Environment Centre just to give us an update about uh, Camp Arananda, a blockade halting forest logging in East Gippsland. Welcome Chris. Good morning, how are you going? Good, thank you. Can I just get you to talk a little bit, um, Chris, first about the history of the anti-logging campaign in Arananda and Gungera? 
Yeah, so for the past month, or more than a month now, um, protests have been ongoing in camp at Camp Arunundra, a really precious area of forest out there. Um, and yeah, so so far, two people have been arrested. There was a bust a few weeks back, which um, which was covered by by 3CR, which was really cool. Um, and then since then, another tree suit was set up, uh, which is still halting logging. So yeah, it's really exciting. And the community's been just so dedicated and so resilient. It's just been amazing. So yeah, it's really exciting. Great, thank you. Yeah, last uh, last month we spoke with Isaac, um, who was in one of those tree sits, which, um, as you say, has now been cleared, but um, there's another one being set up, which is amazing. Um, uh, Isaac also told us that a few trees were logged in August 2020 um, in Gungera, and uh, are there particular areas that are currently taped and mapped for logging by Vic Forests, and how imminent is the threat for forests being bulldozed? Yeah, so for, for Erinandra, I suppose what happened was um, for the area there, uh, community members were keeping an eye on it on a specific spot because it had come up on the logging schedule. It had been taped out and there were signs that had gone up which um, which kind of indicate that there's an imminent threat of logging. Uh, there's a logging crew just around the corner working on an area where which was fire affected and so and within the Goongra catchment. Uh, it's quite devastating uh watching sort of the logging happening out there um, and we're sort of like holding a presence and a space in in Arunandra to make sure that they don't go into those forests. But yeah, there's plenty of other areas that are scheduled, hundreds across Victoria uh, and yeah, over 50 around Arunandra, which is yeah, quite shocking. That is really shocking. And I was just wondering... um Isaac spoke a little bit about the um, fire-damaged logging as well, but could you explain for listeners um, what's going on with that and why logging is continuing in these fire-damaged areas? Yeah, I suppose last year um, we we received a letter from the Vic Forest CEO basically outlining their plans to, to log thousands of hectares of recovering uh, fire-impacted forests across East Gippsland. And we were really shocked because, I mean, the science is very, very clear on the impacts of salvage logging or post-fire logging, called salvage logging by the government, but it's not really salvaging. It's, you know, the trees are still alive, the understory is recovering, and it's at a critical stage of recovery where it really needs to be left alone. You know, once a fire goes through an area, it's really heavy impact, and then to go in and log the area as well, it's just so devastating and um, it can halt the recovery of the forest up to 200 years. So it's really, really damaging. Scientists say it's one of the worst forms of logging, uh, and it's going ahead across East Gippsland. Yeah, that's absolutely devastating, and obviously the terminology salvage kind of yeah. tries to portray it in a particular light, but um, it's really important that people know that that's actually not what's going on and it's causing really irreparable damage. Yeah, it's it's very very misleading, and the terms are kind of used interchangeably for for areas that have ash species, which are kind of, which can be killed by fire. Um, but yeah, even that that that's also incredibly damaging. So yeah. Yeah, thank you. And so citizen scientists um, through, the, through the Gungra Environment Centre have been doing lots of surveys on the threatened Great Glider located in Arunandra. Could you just speak about the Victorian government's response or maybe lack of response in protecting this threatened species? 
Yeah, so we put in we put in a report over a week ago, and then didn't hear hear back from from the department. They go to the environment department, uh, and then we're sending follow up emails to try and get some information about what was about what was happening with our report because we detected gliders in there at a number where they're not it's not only an isolated population but also it was it's enough to trigger a hundred hectare protection zone, and so. It's really important that we know what's going on, but yeah, we haven't had had a lot of communication with the department, and since then we're still back and forth communicating. Um, but it's just disappointing that you know citizen scientists that are out there who are finding these animals and then putting in putting in the reports, and also it's all of those incredible folks who are on the ground up trees, you know, halting the logging, so that we can come in and do those surveys because often they don't happen, uh, and, it, and this area would have been logged by now. Yeah, that's so amazing and so wonderful to hear. Um, a lot of the, the things I've heard about the tree sit and um, Aranundra blockade in general is that the community is really behind it, and there's all these citizen scientists out there as well, which is really great to see, and such a shame that um, the government is just not responding in terms of all this work and community support for yeah. a really important area. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and how can listeners support this anti-logging campaign in East Gippsland and perhaps also get involved in the citizen science? Um, yeah, so I guess that this, I mean, this this weekend there are going to be a few folks around camp who um, who are, uh, can really lead kind of citizen science groups and teach people about what's involved. And so if you're keen to learn and, and um, yeah, get it, have a chat with them, with local residents who will be around this weekend and sort of get an idea of what's happening with the campaign, come and join us this weekend. Or any time, really, camp always needs support. But if you're, if you're looking to do some citizen science stuff, we're going to have, have some things happening this weekend. So, yeah, people can get in contact with me through our website. It's gecko.org.au, G-E-C-O.org.au. Great. Thank you so much, Chris. And yeah, we'll definitely uh, link to your website so that people can get in touch um, if they want to support the campaign. Um, and yeah, all the best. Thank you so much for joining us again. Thank you so much for having me. It's really, really great. Thank you. And that was Chris Sharinga talking to us about the Aranundra, uh logging blockade. You're on 3CR Thursday morning breakfast. And now we're going to go to another song. So this is A Long Way From My Country by Kobe D. Yeah, right. City, city lights burn my eyes, I can't lie Reminisce a back home where the starlight shine Think of a place like mine, where I ease my mind Right back on country, everything on fine But in these concrete jungles where I lay my head I feel best for where I am because I could be dead I stay shooting for the stars but use a different kind of lead With a different kind of bread, with some different kind of bread I'm a young black king for my young black kin Proud of this melanin up under my brown skin And if we never win, as long as he went in They say we live in in sin, that's the words that they sing I'm just waiting for the day that I'll be back home And my daughter's all grown, oh, so she can be shown Where her ancestors roam and the Gomorrah own And the me high flow, that's where I call home I'm a long way from my country It's a long time since I've reappeared With a red dirt fly across a clear blue sky Run away cause you might get speared I'm a long way away from my country It's a long time since I've reappeared 
Where the red dirt fly, cross the clear blue sky Run away, cause you might get speed I'm a long way away I'm a long way away Said I'm a long way away Yeah, I'm a long way away I'm a long way away, but I still feel you in my spirit You hear it in these lyrics, I ain't one for the gimmicks I hold it down for my people, I'm hoping all of you feel it I do this all for our healing, I never try to conceal it I feel the wind across my arms, the heat on my face I'm free like a dinner one, they still trying to get a taste I'ma stay forever calm, just don't get up in this space If you do, then I'ma put you in your place I'm a young black man, on Bidjigul land But this Gomorrah hands turn to brick, water sand I'ma do this for the fam, I don't think they understand Everything will go as Plan before we go back to the land I'm a long way from my country It's a long time since I reappeared Where the red dirt fly across the clear blue sky Run away cause you might get speared I'm a long way away from my country It's a long time since I reappeared Where the red dirt fly across the clear blue sky Run away cause you might get speared I'm a long way away I'm a long way away Said I'm a long way away Yeah, I'm a long way away And you're on 3CR, 855 AM, and listening to the Thursday Breakfast Show. We're coming up to 757 AM, and that was A Long Way From My Country by Kobe D. Making sustainable, beautiful since 2003. Their 100% recycled cards, plastic-free stationery, and earth-friendly gifts are made in Australia with the lightest possible planetary footprint. Shop online at earthgreetings.com.au or at one of over 500 stockists Australia-wide. Earth Greetings is a 3CR supporter. Goongaroo Environment Centre is a grassroots community organisation campaigning for East Gippsland's precious forests. For over 15 years, we've been using direct action, citizen science, and community engagement to stop the continued logging of precious native forests and threatened species habitat. After this summer's terrible bushfires, there's an even greater urgency to protect what remains, and the Victorian government haven't ruled out plans to log the small fragments of unburnt forests and so-called salvage log in burnt areas. It's now so important that forests and wildlife are protected so they can recover. Head to gecko.org.au to keep updated with the latest news and to get involved. Gecko acknowledges the logging is happening on the stolen lands of the Gunnakurnai and Bidwell and Monaro people and that sovereignty was never ceded. A 3CR supporter. Hi, this is Renata from the IWG Collective. We're calling feminists of all genders and feminist allies. March 8th is International Women's Day and this year it's special as it's also Labor Day in Victoria and a public holiday. This year's rally in March will kick off at 2pm at the steps of Parliament House and then we'll make our way through the CBD to the State Library. Come early and be part of a momentous event. There will also be a limited after-party at the Queen Victoria Women's Centre. See you there. A 3CR supporter. As we go 
You're on 3CR Thursday morning breakfast and next up we're joined by Larissa Baldwin, uh, a Wujibal woman from the Bundjalung Nations and GetUp's First Nations Justice Campaign Director. And Larissa's going to join us to discuss GetUp's petition calling for an urgent moratorium to protect sacred sites. Good morning, Larissa. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for joining us. Larissa, in late January this year, a culturally significant site on Bunjima country was damaged by mining giant BHP at one of their iron ore mines in the Pilbara region of so-called Western Australia. Can you tell us what happened and about the response from traditional owners? I mean, the site was damaged from uh, falling debris and stuff like that, but the thing to know is that as early, like last year after the Dukin Gorge cave disaster, uh, BHP come out to the traditional owners and basically promised them that this site wouldn't be damaged. Uh, so that's where the outrage from the community is at, that they uh, have actually come out and damaged the site after promising, after all the outrage from uh, what happened with Rio Tinto and Jogan Gorge, they've destroyed the site. Yeah, absolutely. As you say, it comes so closely after that awful, awful destruction. And, yeah, I mean, these empty promises from mining companies just seems like I can imagine the community outrage is huge. And even despite all that significant public backlash and backlash from community, um, nothing seems to have happened and mining companies continue to operate in these harmful ways. And I know that both uh, mining companies were given approval for their, their works under Section 18 of WA's Aboriginal Heritage Act. I was wondering if you could give listeners some idea about what this legislation is, maybe why it fails, and um, whether GetUp is calling for changes to this uh, to this legislation. I mean, at a state and territory level, the important thing to know is that there is no legislation in Australia that can adequately protect uh, cultural heritage. There's so many problems with patchwork of legislation, and so what we want to see on a federal level is a new Commonwealth Act put in. Um, that goes through lots of different issues. First of all, one of the things that we're asking for is for the traditional owners to be given the right to veto. That's the right to say no unconditionally that they don't want their cultural heritage destroyed. I think when we started working on this campaign, a lot of kind of everyday people across the country really thought that this legislation existed because people have seen things, even if they haven't seen up close, like the Native Title Act be implemented and stuff like that. But that doesn't mean uh, what's happened since then is that legislation has been attacked by the Howard government. People might remember the 10-point plan, which is to wind back the powers under native title. And mining corporations since then have gone through this process of completely widening the legislation. And so it's not worth the paper it's written on. Uh, if you have new evidence and you want to do a stop work, you can't do it. Everything is pretty much at the minister's discretion. And this is just, in terms of legislation, it offers no protection. Um, and so people can talk about, yes, there's some sort of protections under the ECBC, there's some under the Native Title Act and the Cold Heritage, but altogether... These legislations don't work to protect sacred sites or cultural heritage. Yeah, absolutely. And that, that right to veto seems just so important, like actually saying no and being listened to and having the power um, under legislation to do that is seems crucial, obviously. Um, are there other, par- are there other um, demands around that National Heritage Act that um, GetUp and uh, community are calling for? Yeah, so at the moment there are kind of three crucial demands that we're asking for. Um, first is that uh, a moratorium is put in place on all works and approvals under cultural heritage because we know, even with what happened with Rio Tinto, that uh, basically the, uh, in the last uh, year, towards the end of last year, there were 12 traditional owner groups that were released from their gag orders. So traditional owner groups have the right to say whether or not they're actually negotiating with. A lot of these decisions were 
uh, made under duress. We know that uh, came out that FNG, which is Twiggy's uh, Fortescue Metals Group, uh, came out and they were basically bullying and holding royalty, like holding traditional owners to ransom with their royalty payments if they didn't sign off on sacred uh, cultural heritage site destruction. Um, so we're calling for that moratorium right now. Uh, we're absolutely uh, bringing the, the right to veto into the public forum and talking about that and what it actually means in legislation. But we also want to see the portfolio of cultural heritage protection moved from the environment minister where it sits currently, just because it doesn't make any sense that we know that all the kind of last-minute stop-work interventions, Susan Lay's uh, uh, office got a lot of... She's the current environment minister. She got the notification. She wasn't there. She wasn't able to intervene. Uh, and she's just someone that doesn't hold any value for cultural heritage. So we want to see that move to a different portfolio. We think it makes sense under the Minister um, for Indigenous Affairs. We need to kind of decouple in this uh, country the, the ability to put Aboriginal legislation with environment legislation. is so, so much more than that in this country. So um, those things need to happen. But I think in more, in more of a general sense is that people, wherever you are, it doesn't need to be Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander, you need to be outraged about this because... This cultural heritage uh, and sacred sites are irreplaceable. And you can talk about compensation, uh, that's important, but once it's gone, it's gone. Uh, and it has a huge impact on communities to have their cultural heritage destroyed and to have to negotiate to have something like this destroyed. Um, so you can talk about the jobs and development and that sort of stuff, but that's not a fair uh, question or a fair choice that anyone else in this country is asked to make. There's heritage building here, like, I'm in Sydney right now, I'm heading to the NT, but there's heritage buildings here that have more protection than Aboriginal sites, and that's just wrong. Um, so we want to see the Minister relieved of her duties. Uh, we'll hand that over to the Minister for Aboriginal Affairs, but there's lots of things within the legislation, and primarily what we're asking for is for local mobs to be the ones to make a decision about what has cultural heritage value, and for the people that are, are looking at these requests to be... Aboriginal people to understand our cultural heritage, not to be uh, anthropologists and that sort of stuff from the museums. That's not good enough and that's not the same thing. So there's a lot of things to happen. Uh, it's really good that the Heritage uh, Act inquiry, since being, uh, what's happened in Jukun Gorge, has gone national. So that means we're now looking at the thousands of cultural heritage sites across the country that are under threat. Yeah, thank you. Actually, I would love just to zoom out from this particular incident a bit and um, just talk about the other campaigns that Get Up are running and other communities are running around um, the destruction of other First Nations sacred sites and country in general, because obviously this is a huge issue in um, a colony like Australia. And I know, yeah, you were speaking about this coupling of environment and uh, cultural heritage sites, which is just it, it's just one facet of a, real, a much broader issue. So I was wondering if you could talk a bit more about uh, the resistance um, from First Nations communities defending country? Yeah, so we've been, uh, particularly within the First Nations team, we've a team of campaigners or Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander women, uh, and we've been working for a number of years, particularly in the Northern Territory. Uh, we do other work around the country, but um, fundamentally what we're doing there is around fracking. Uh, people might know at the end of last year, Scott Morrison came out and promised a $10 billion bailout to get uh, five or six strategic basins across the country uh, to get to the gas, which includes fracking. On the front line of all these basins are traditional, and it's the Nayala ones leading the fight to stop this, and these fights have been going on for over a decade. So what this government is doing is trying to force fracking on so many communities that have said no. 
um, you know, trying to help uh, spread the message on the ground, but more nationally, uh, taking on the big companies. Origin Energy is in there trying to frack in WA, NT, and in Queensland. Um, and so, you know, we don't want these dangerous projects to go ahead. It puts uh, health and also water at uh, incredible risk. But the communities have also said they don't want the size of, especially in the NT, the size of industrialisation in and around that community. So uh, there's the independent inquiry in the NT found that overwhelmingly Aboriginal communities don't want to see fracking in their communities. Uh, we know there's a big resistance on the ground. And it's really important for us as a national organisation that is a progressive campaigning organisation. We have a million members in that we are using our membership to back in grassroots fights. And you know, right across the country, that's happening in so many ways, not just around protecting country, but around protecting our families, uh, talking about death in custody. You know, Black Lives Matter was a big moment last year, but that fight has been going on for decades. Um, uh, and I feel like every family knows the feeling of to have someone to lose someone in custody. So there are big fights happening around the country. I think GAP as an organisation has been around long enough uh, to start putting considerable resource behind supporting First Nations communities in their fight. Yeah, absolutely. And I um, really encourage listeners to both get involved with Get Up's campaigns and really um, just yeah get involved with these other fights because they are, as you say, all interconnected. Could I just get you to maybe tell listeners where they can find out more about the moratorium petition and um, other actions that um, you encourage people to take? Um, so if you go onto our website or our Facebook um There'll be links to our petitions at so getup.org.au. I think it's forward slash sacred sites, but uh, on our website the other day we did post a, um, a thing about the sacred sites because Rio Tinto uh, board chair was sacked yesterday, ultimately due to what happened at uh, Chicken Gorge. He had to take responsibility. So on our social media, absolutely get involved. Um, if you go to dopefactornt.org.au, that's how you can get involved in that campaign. That's great. Thank you so, so much for joining us. And, um, yeah, I hope, I hope listeners get involved and we'll make sure to link to that, um, petition as well. Thank you, Larissa. Thank you. And just then we spoke to Larissa Baldwin from GetUp's First Nation Justice Campaign Director about the urgent moratorium to protect sacred sites, a petition that GetUp is running. You're on 3CR Thursday morning breakfast. I'm Jeffrey. I'm Alphonse. I'm Erwin. And we, we are, are from, from the Voice of West Papua. Tuesday, 6.30 until 7.30 p.m. News and music from West Papua. The Rainbow Door is a free, culturally safe, specialist helpline for all LGBTIQA plus Victorians. The helpline provides information, support and referral from experienced peer workers on issues including mental health, family violence, relationships, suicide prevention and sexual assault. For information, support and referral, call the Rainbow Door on 1800 729 367. That's 1800 729 367. 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. every day. 
Switchboard is a 3CR supporter. To enable change, we need to show broad community support. Show your support for walking and cycling in the city of Yarra by appearing as a champion on the Streets Alive website, representing your local street, neighbourhood or school. It's fast, free and simple. Learn more at streets-alive-yarra.org. A 3CR supporter. And you're listening to 3CR Thursday Breakfast on 855 AM. Now we're going to go to an interview with Hella Abraham, who's the founder and editorial director of Jed Press. And Hella joins us to talk about Jed's editorial mentorship and featured writers programs, as well as their black speculative fiction anthology. So, Hella, thanks so much for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me. Well, Jed is open for submissions again. Um, so for listeners who aren't familiar, would you mind explaining a little bit about Jed Press? I mean, yeah. Um, it, oh, you think I'd be better at this by now, given how often I talk about it. Um, but in short, uh, Jed Press is an online publication that works exclusively um, with uh, black creatives and other creatives of color. It is run by and for people of color. Um, and it's really aimed at, um, I guess, of removing barriers to access to entering the editing and publishing industry. Um, so as much as possible, we try to, you know, get in um, people who otherwise might not be able to publish elsewhere or get trained elsewhere, and we basically, yeah, offer them our skills and services. Such vital work, I mean, especially in the, in the quite... Oh. I want to. I want to say we we have a bit of a problem with diversity in the media landscape. <laughs> uh, you know, um, just a bit. Oh. Um, oh, that's 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 a real polite way of saying it. Hey, very polite. Um, mm-hmm. But in terms of uh, the things that Jed is doing to try and uh, expand some of the perspectives that uh, that we get to see in the in the media and publishing landscape. Um, you've got a couple of uh, programs coming up, so maybe we could start by talking about the editorial mentorship program. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm really excited about that one. Um, I basically, I mean, I'm still finalizing it, honestly. Like, I put the last of it together last night and, you know, furiously messaging people at 10 o'clock like, at night being like, hello, could you possibly? Um, thank God, like, people in the arts are generally, like, quite nice and don't mind the Twitter DM. Um, but the editorial mentorship program, um, actually, we ran a pilot program a couple of years ago. And I, um, you know, it was quite haphazardly run at the time. But we, I sat down and we've now turned it into more of a 10-week structured course. Um, so you actually get, um, so we will be opening applications, I think, later today. Um, but what it is is a, a comprehensive training program. I really feel like editors, um, in, a lot of editors at the moment aren't getting trained properly. Um, and so this, my program kind of covers everything like from, you know, there are five editing intensives, um, beginning with like a language foundations one, um, with, uh, Adolfo Aranjuez who will be taking them through, uh, whoever we select, um, who will be taking them through, you know, grammar, syntax, punctuation in a, you know, one-on-one session kind of thing. And then the other editing intensives 
Um, you've got editing fiction, um, editing non-fiction, editing poetry um, with Evelyn Araluen, which I'm really excited about, actually. Um, probably going to attend it myself. Can't, uh, can't hurt to have a refresher. Um, but, yeah, and then, you know, other weeks um, around uh, permissions and legal issues and copyright, um, just kind of going through step-by-step step in depth and it's... And, um, while also being paid for it, which I think is really what differentiates this program a little bit. So at every step, um, while we're not like, it's not a, it's a training program, so it's not a really well-paid thing, but um, you get paid for the pieces that you edit. You get paid um, a bulk payment at the end uh, once you've successfully completed the program and you get a letter of recommendation as well. Um uh, any like PD you want to take, we cover any materials you need, like books you want to buy to, you know, um, improve your, I don't know, whatever skills, like we will cover that. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, you should by the end of it, after the end of 10 weeks, basically, it's like a 10 week crash course in being an editor, basically, without leaving you out of pocket. Yeah, that's, that sounds fantastic. Like even just after listening to it, I was like, oh, maybe I'll, Maybe I'll apply it. But uh, I think definitely also um, goes towards addressing the sort of imbalance of um, black, indigenous people of color um, that are working at the editorial level, which I think is, um, yeah, is, yeah. is really important as well, and being able to compensate people uh, to do that too. Yeah, it's hugely important. Like there is, when I say there is a, there is a huge lack of editors of color in the industry, and it's, you know, way worse when you look, only look at, like, black and first nations, um, people working in the industry. We're just not there. Like, oh, we are there, but it's so, it's so rare. And, and a lot of it comes down to, like, financial, financial barriers to access are a huge problem. Um, the, the fact is, like, we can't, like, and it's always such a catch-22 with jobs, right? You need to have experience and you need to have a degree, but you can't get experience without having experience. And it's just, it's, it's bananas. Like, and don't get me wrong, it's a different experience for, for everyone. Um, but my personal experience trying to get into the editing and publish took 10 years and, like, could barely get anywhere. And it was hard and it was traumatic in some jobs. And it's like, you shouldn't have to go through that. You shouldn't have to go through that to do a, a job that's fun and interesting and, you know, something you want to do. And I'm like, yeah, it's like removing the financial barrier to access and removing the racial barrier to access should go like it, it. I mean, I wish other <laughs> kind of wish other organizations were doing this because, like, once you remove those two things, you just you end up. And some of the people I've worked with have just been amazing, incredible, like people who've been really passionate and dedicated. And I'm like, man, like I don't, I don't know what like. I'm glad you got a chance. Basically, I'm, I'm trying to think of like good ways to phrase this without swearing my head off. But it is, it drives me insane when like when people do keep coming up against these barriers over and over again and not getting hired and not being given a chance. And, yeah, really, I find it really frustrating. Yeah, and, I mean, like, it, it shouldn't have to be a sort of baptism of fire to get into into the industry, right? Like, you should be able yeah, to... Really yeah, you should be able to uh, navigate this process without having to worry about racist microaggressions, without having to worry about, um, you know, being told that you're uh, the, the kind of work that you want to do is uh, maybe not the most essential. 
um, which is, you know, I can imagine just, just, just some of what people would experience. Um, but in terms of uh, the other programs that you're doing, and this is around more uh, the writing side, you've got a featured writers program coming up. So could you tell us a bit about that? We do. Uh, yeah, we do. Um, so the featured writers program, I mean, I'm equally as excited, but I will say it's probably less interesting for anyone who has engaged with Jed before because it is basically um, kind of just a more polished version of the featured writers program we have been offering for the last few years. Um, the main difference, uh, unfortunately, is that we are no longer taking on 10 featured writers um, because that <laughs> was unmanageable. Um, and a lot of people, yeah, it's, it's so, so we can better focus on the writers. So we'll be selecting three to five this round. And we're keeping it at three to five. It should be three, realistically, but um, because two of the state, uh, well, uh, a minimum of one spot is always um, guaranteed for a First Nations person. Um, and so having three to five spaces just kind of allows for more First Nations people to um, to get a spot, I guess. Uh, but, we'll, yeah, we'll be focusing on the three. Um, and the Features Writers, Features Writers Program, basically you get um, not guaranteed publication, I guess, um, but, uh, but you get guaranteed um, mentoring, uh, support, all of it. So apart from, you know, you can write pieces and publish them with us, uh, you basically, it really is, yeah, again, more in the background, more comprehensive. So um, if you, you know, want to work with a writer, we will find you one. We will pay for uh, with a, sorry, more senior writer. Um, we'll cover that. Uh, again, any professional development you want to do, any events you want to go to, we cover that. Um, and usually once, uh, once a year we have a showcase um, either so for the last couple of years uh, I think we did it um, we had a showcase at Melbourne Writers Festival another year we had it through um, the Emerging Writers Festival uh, I think the first year was let's say Community Arts um, you know what I can't even remember but it was through FBSE and so yeah you get basically and, and we promote you as much as possible so um, our networks are not as, as as we'd like them to be, but we do, you know, we do have some reach, so we basically get to amplify writers who, again, might not have been paid attention to, I guess, and I like that, like, some of the writers who have come through this program before have just been really, really good, and, like, you know, they start publishing with us, and then they've gone on to publish with Overland or with Nianjin or publish a book or whatever it is, Um so, yeah, so it's basically, again, giving writers a chance to kind of hone their craft in a way that gives them time and space to do it, you know, carefully and considerately without, and again, while being financially supported to do that, um, just to, yeah, just to, I guess, increase the diversity of the landscape. I really actually hate the phrase diversity and inclusion. I particularly hate the word inclusion. Um, I've talked about it a lot before, but... Yeah, um, but for the sake of keeping this short, <laughs> yeah, it, it, it basically, again, like, uh, those, these programs are intended to remove some of the barriers that we often face trying to, trying to enter this industry, I guess. Yeah, and also I totally get what you mean about the diversity and inclusion, like, ick factor. <laughs> um, but... Yeah, I think, you know, this sort of really speaks to, to the importance of this kind of work and it just shouldn't be so rare, right? Um, people, people shouldn't have to, um, struggle to make space to be able to do the writing that they want to do and improve, um, improve their writing skills and learn how to pitch. Um, 
So um, just before we wrap, um, I know that Jed also has a black speculative fiction anthology in the works, speaking of um, collating and publishing some incredible stuff from writers who um, aren't getting uh, the attention that they really should be. Yeah, so um, I'm in the Futures, Black and Black Spectic, um, is a book we're co-publishing with Fremantle Press and WA, so it's our first kind of venture into state. We've always been, a, you know, in principle a national publication, but because I'm based in Victoria, it's been very Victoria-based. So um, in March last year, Rafis uh, Ismail came on board as our managing director, and she's in um, WA, um, so that's really opened that up. And through that relationship, um, yeah, so we're publishing a book with Fremantle Press. I'm actually not the editor on it. It's being co-edited by Ellen Van Neven and Rafis. Um, and there's, oh, my God, just working with them has been like, and I'm not, again, I'm not directly involved, but just being even peripherally involved in working with them has been such an amazing experience that I can only imagine that all the writers who are working with them are just going to, yeah, it should be a very, like, good, safe environment, I think. Um, but, yeah, and, like, some of the writers we've already got in this book are, unfortunately, I can't actually name names, but there are some names, and it's it's exciting. I cannot wait till this is published, but um, you should be hearing more about that uh, over this year. Um, I uh, you know what, I probably should have checked the publication date, but keep an eye out for it. It should be being published, I think, this year, towards the end of the year or early next year. Um, and, yeah, it's just, it's been, it's, uh, I can't tell you what it's like to just have a book entirely dedicated, to, like, to creating space for black writers, First Nation writers, um, but that isn't about being black in First Nations or that isn't about, like, let's talk about our oppression. It's speculative fiction. It's a good read like I yeah so excited about that one it sounds incredible I mean I am really excited to eventually have Ellen and Rafif on to talk about this when it is published um Mm -hmm. so you'll have to you'll have to let us know when it's out um but for now where can people find out more about Jed Press and potentially apply for some of the programs you've talked about Cool. So none of the programs are technically open. Um, the editorial mentorship will um, be up later today, and the writing mentorship should open up next week. Um, you can go to jedpress.com. Uh, so that's D-J-E-D uh, Press. Um, otherwise, we're on we're on Twitter and Instagram. We are technically on Facebook, but considering the mess Facebook has been lately, I've, we might just cancel that. But you can find us talking loudly and often on Twitter. Um, and I think our handle is at Jed, oh, is it at Jed underscore press. It, it'll be either at Jed press or at Jed underscore press. Um, and, yeah, you can check out our, our Instagram page, our Instagram uh, particularly for the announcements of when uh, the programs open up. Yeah, incredible. Um, and, you know, I, I believe it is at Jed underscore press, um, but I'm sure people <laughs> will be able to find you either way. Um, and thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us, Hella. Yeah, thanks again for having me on. Well, that was an interview with Hella Abraham, who's the founder and editorial director of Jed Press. And Hella joined us to talk about Jed's editorial mentorship and featured writers programs, which are going to be opening up soon, as well as their black speculative fiction anthology, which is currently in the works with Fremantle Press. What we're dealing with here is a total lack of respect for the law. 
done by law. An informal and irreverent look at the law. Critical insights and analysis from diverse community perspectives. Done by law. 6pm Tuesdays. Panoply, panorama, panpipe, pansy, aha, pansexual, knowing no boundaries of sex or gender. Sound interesting? Then join Sally on Sundays at noon for Out of the Pan. All those gender questions making you think too hard? Whether it's transgender, bisexual, polyamorous or beyond, we'll throw those questions into the pan and cook up the answers for you. So go on, push that gender envelope... Only on 3CR 855 AM digital and 3cr.org.au. You're on 3CR Thursday morning breakfast and unfortunately that is all we have time for today. So we're just going to do a quick rundown of what we had on the show. Um, first, Carly spoke with Jill Gallagher at Vacho about the Royal Commission into Victoria's mental health system. I spoke to Chris Sharinga um, about the blockade at Camp Ernundra. Um I spoke with Amy Bright at the University of Melbourne Student Union about the recent escalation of transphobia at the uni. Then we spoke to Larissa Baldwin about GetUp's um, petition to call for an urgent moratorium to protect sacred sites. And finally, I spoke with Hella from Jed Press about their upcoming programs. And that's all we've got time for today. Um, so thank you so much for tuning in. 3CR Breakfast would like to thank the New International Bookshop, Melbourne's radical independent bookseller and venue, for their financial support of this program. You can find Nibs in the basement of Trades Hall in Victoria Street, Carlton. Or check them out at nibs.org.au to find more information about upcoming discussions and events.